For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Talk Recorded live. Okay, perfect. And so um, I'm going to pray really quickly and then we'll get started. Yes. Uh, Father, thank you so much. We love you. We honor you. Worship you. You are holy. You are awesome. We we thank you for your sovereignty and how you brought us together for this specific assignment. I pray that you will anoint us for this season, for this project that we know that you are using to be a blessing. And God, I ask that you and your presence be with us on this call. Help us to gain understanding, open our hearts and our minds, and unify us in love and communion. Open up our understanding and help us, above all things, to submit to your authority and your will. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Um, okay, so I I read over uh, the email. Actually, I got it a little late. I didn't even realize you had sent it. That's uh, okay. So some of the things I understand completely. Like in section one, when you asked about a print-ready manuscript for us in terms of this contract, that's just grammatically correct. All of the content has been approved and ready for the next phase. And it will be delivered in a Word document. You'll have it in a PDF, and you'll have it in a zip file. But you'll still need to secure somebody to typeset it and do your interior design and all of that. So it will be print-ready in the sense that It'll be ready to go to the next phase for you. Um, In modifying the contract, we wanted to really be able to work with you. And and I knew what you were going through in your situation, so I had to consider what we can actually do within your budget. So you can still do the typesetting. In fact, you know, if Adam is open to that, that's one of the things that he was going to do that he might still could do. If you mm-hmm. want to reconcile that, you know, I don't know if you guys have the. No, we haven't talked, and I've kind of. I just heard God say, "Leave it," you know, "leave it be where it is," um, okay. because I think for him, he was very adamant about even when I did the email, I found out there was more to it. So yesterday, he even asked, "Well, did you go back to the original person?" And I said, "That has nothing to do with us here." And he said, "Well, it does, because then you should." be able to tell me that. And I said, well, I don't think I have to tell you any of that. You're mixing a relationship pretty much that was formed through business because it was about spiritual. So a relationship got formed, but we don't have this bond that's really unbreakable. It was through, you know, someone else connecting me to you. And he said, well, I'm not in agreement. And I just know that if you go someplace else, I'm not going to edit someone else's work because I'll probably look at their work and feel like what they did is wrong. So I left it at that, I, and it was like God revealed the heart, and I just heard really a selah in my spirit. So that part, honestly, I would be left either alone to try to figure this all out from that portion or, yeah, figuring okay. the next step. I understand. Okay. Um, and... Uh, or number two in section four with the timing payment and writing schedule, when you ask that to, you said more tightly. So instead of calendar dates for second and third payment, um, to change it to reflect the deliverables for the writing. Um, the way that we did it, we, I think I'm understanding you. I, I, that's what we kind of, the writing schedule, the deliverables where well, by August 1st, I'll give to you um, the introduction and chapters one through three being ready for you to review and they'll be done. And that's when the second installment is done. So they go together. So there's like this changing of hands of the work and of the payment. And then, of course, there are two rounds of revisions before we move on to make sure that you are happy with with what you And I, I understood that, but when, because now that it was the business side legally and it was referred over to the 
church's attorney, he said that the paragraph before that, um, and I apologize, I don't have the whole thing, was kind of conflicting because it kind of left it broad. But then the paragraph after it did say August 1st chapter. So he was just saying that it kind of needed to make more sense and kind of be engrafted together versus looking like they were two separate things. Help me understanding. I'm not sure I, I understand. See, I don't have it. I think the way that it shared in the beginning, it said something about, hold on, let me see if I can pull it open. Okay. Sorry. That'd be fantastic. Let me try it off. The only thing is when you look at it from your phone, you have to try to go back to the previous. Let's see. Let me go on my laptop. Sorry, you hear my computer opening up and all these emails. <laughs> no, no worries. Okay. Okay. Okay, let's open it up the PDF now. Okay. Okay, project B, deposit amount due, second installment due. So I see how it looks. So when you look at it, how it has the second installment due 27500 US dollars on August 1st. I think the only thing, if we took, you know where it breaks it down, deposit amount second and final, and we put in there C writing schedule outline reference that, that'll be fine. Because the outline does give specifically to match that, but I see what he's saying. It looks like it's two separate versus it's all a part of line four, section four. Okay, so um, you'd just like to have that include C writing schedule for So right underneath so final installment due, we would just say C reference outline scheduled to match below. That's it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, that makes sense then. Okay. Um, when we get to the adding the arbitration clause, any, any and all, and neither party shall file civil action in any court prior to seeking resolution through arbitration. Um, this provision serves as consent to be bound to arbitration as the sole means of dispute resolution pursuant to this agreement. Sure, that will, we'll add that in the words. Okay. Um, the fourth, uh, the payment and policy section, timely is, you know, we'll outline that a little more in the writing schedule. When yeah, that's all that we deliver the work. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. about five calendar days that you have to return it with comments and edit. And we'll add okay. that. We'll specifically add five and also add a provision that um, if more time is needed, then both parties will agree in writing with the understanding that it could alter the, the timeline. But sure, we'll define timely for you. But yeah, it's about okay. five days. Um, what else, what else, what else? The work release um, section. Yeah. Uh, the format that the final work will be released in, uh, again, print ready. It's it's a Word document. You'll receive it in, and of course, the PDF and the um, zip file. However, the margins will sort of reflect what um, your trim size is, but it won't be designed with the typesetting and the layout. That still has to be done. But the reason why we'll still do the trim size margins is so that you can actually see how many pages you'll be working. Right. Okay. And um, as for me, 
even though we do um, about 130 to 170 pages, I'm a slave to the, the story and the book and what it means. And so if it did go over that, unless the client says, I need the page count to be this because I don't want to go over this budget-wise because it does change mm-hmm. the printer depending on pages, I don't really worry about the page count. It's just whatever is needed to make sure that the book is what it needs to be, then that's what I do. Okay. So um, let's see. What else? What else? Um, the payment policy, the standard notice, and pure language. I think that um, you're asking about how it can be remedied, but let me hear your, your thoughts on that so I understand. Okay. Let me go to my notes. Sorry. Okay. No, no worries. <laughs> So I think we're, okay, I'm looking at what he says. And project delays, if we can put something in a call, so let's just say if we had a projected date for August 1st, right, and then we didn't meet it until August 7th, but the what was delivered was promised on August 1st, he's asking if the delay happens, then we would actually have the payment of the due date to reflect the delay. That's all he's saying. Okay, That's sure. That's why it has payment. So if it's going to be delayed and it won't be delivered, then you'll give grace and saying, well, we didn't meet the August 1st deadline. It won't be till August 7th. So I'll give you six days and you can sure. make the payment when we deliver. Absolutely. And um, that's something that we actually do, and we'll make sure that it's reflected in the language so you can have that legal guarantee as well. Okay. That makes sense. Okay, so we're on the um, final. Uh, is there a separate release that will be provided upon final payment that mirrors the language? In this agreement, I believe you're asking for uh, a release that reflects personally me, Deanna Hobbs, as an individual rather than a corporation. Or, um, you no, know. What, what he's saying is, um, like, oh, yes, you as as the full release by the writer on behalf of the company, that same warranties and uh, indemnifications, he was basically saying that we want to make sure that you're writing, and as the ghost writer, it's definitely saying, hey, this same thing as the writer for this guy. He doesn't know that you're the actual owner and CEO, honestly, but the way that the contract is as if though there's a writer that's hired by this company. So, for example, right. if let's just say, Angela, I'm giving that name, was writing, then it would say that this same writer will fall underneath the same demification that uh, Empowered uh, is saying. So that's what he was just saying. Sure, we can we can um, resolve that two ways. One, there can be a, a separate release that just is reflective of a single writer, or there can be language interjected in the beginning of a brief in the agreement with the specific name of the writer specifying right. that I, Deanna Hobbs, will be held to the same standards in this agreement. And, um, yeah, that would definitely work because the agreement, okay. although you're signing for it, is basically between Hobbs and Deandres versus, Absolutely. you know, um, and Deanna. So perfect. Okay. Sure. That All is right. it. Now I know that that part is done originally. So here's my other question that's not in here. Originally when we had talked a while ago, we talked about self-publishing, ISBN number. How does that play in part, or is there a way I would – I'll tell you, I looked online because that wasn't in there this time, and it was very overwhelming and extremely painful trying to figure it out for someone who's never done it. You're asking a musician right. to play and do finances <laughs> to understand logistics. So that's right. the other thing, and I know that's not the technical part in the agreement, so I don't know if that's something you're saying I'm doing as or this is something on the side that I'm doing. Hey, this is how you get the ISBN. Here's the link. Click it. If you get stuck, I'll help you. Um, this is how you do for self-publishing. So that's kind of the part that I'm I'm lost I on. Um, yeah, again, that was like the, the budgetary thing. So we just went ahead and took that out so we can focus on the writing and make it possible for us to do it. Um, the, the Securing and securing the ISBN, no, it is a process. 
and choosing the uh, self-publisher is also a process. It is something that um, if you have the budget, we could do, um, or we can point in the direction of uh, Ingram Sparks is really great. Um, but you you will need an, an interior designer for the book will look good. You will need, um, even if it's under you, you will need to purchase the ISBN number. And once you go with Ingram Sparks or whatever the self-publisher is, I, I don't recommend Zulon. Um, not that mm-hmm. they can't work done, but that's who owns your book and that's whose logo is on your book. I don't recommend um, I like Ingram Sparks because it's white label in the sense that if you are a self-publisher, whatever logo, whatever publishing company, even if you own it, your logo goes under there. It, it's under you, and it's done very tastefully and professionally. And um, they will distribute it for you, so you don't have to figure out how to get it on Amazon. Or So the digital distribution comes along with your self-publishing company. And um, so Ingram Sparks is great for that. Although it is a, it is a task to uh, figure out. It's something that we could help you with. It's just, uh, it's work. But um, if you create an account, they will help you. And I'm here. So if it gets okay. kind of hectic and you open an account with them, then they have great customer service. But if you have a question, then, you know. You can ask me. So I can't do it, but wink, wink, if you get stuck, yeah, I'm here in that sense to help you out. Yeah, because I understand your budgetary constraints and everything, and um, that's why I'm I'm sad with what happened with Adam. Right. Um, Just because all of the things that he was going to do or what he said he would do, and that was just a very low estimate for everything that he said he he would do, which is a red flag to an actual ghostwriter. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was like a red flag for him to do the writing, do the, the ISBN number, do your website. You know, it was just kind of like a, it felt like a money grab. Um, but Ingram Spark is good. So if you go to IngramSpark.com and mm-hmm. create an account, they'll walk you through that whole process, and it's really great because they offer print-on-demand, they offer ebook distribution, all the formats that you need, so um, they'll help you out with it. Okay. And if you could just send me either that in a text or an email who they are so I can start maybe at night figuring that out through the process because okay. I wouldn't want to wait until the last minute. I can actually maybe start. Is it okay to start it now, or do you have to wait? Because the way Adam had explained it to me, you have to wait until you actually have something for print before you can even obtain the ISBN. Yeah, you can You can start in the sense of you can create an account, and you can tap around, figure out how it works, you know, educate yourself, but you're not actually going to be able to start that publishing process until you have a document that's gotcha. ready. Yeah. Gotcha. So it's all about, like, asking as many questions, gathering all the information so that when you're ready to go, you can do it. But, yeah, none of that sucks because that process can't really be started until you be ready to print. Okay. Yeah. Although... I have clarity. Although the, if, if you were going to do it from a separate place, it could be more expensive. But you can get an ISBN number for a title and things like that. Um, but when you go under a self-publisher, you can do it kind of all in a, in a nutshell. And that's okay. easier. Yeah, that's easier. Yeah. So because they have all of the online retail partners, all of the print partners, everything right. that you need. And a lot of these, just so you know, a lot of small publishing companies that um, actually charge for everything, they go through Ingram Spark. So Ingram Spark is their third party to deliver the services that you need. So if you want to go directly to the source and act as your own self-publisher, then you can do that as well. Uh, I don't okay. know if you have a 
a name that you want to publish under or anything like that, but you can definitely do that. You can get a logo and publish under your own. So which is my website, that actually is is already a published name. Um, Oh, good. Underneath the S-Corp that my husband and I got, the S Corp uh-huh. is called Ray and C Inc. R A Y N C Inc. But we actually did Seandris.com, which is for okay. if people wanted to have me speak or as my license as a coach do that. And then he actually okay. has his counseling as Heavenly Counsel. We have it all established, you know, underneath that E I N, which of course when you have the E I N and the S Corp, you know you can have up to I think forty or fifty right. names. But mm-hmm. we've just never done anything with it. So it actually would be com, which is why he was – the website was really already done, so he wasn't really doing the website. He was okay. actually having it to reflect the book and kind of editing it for me. So it wasn't him even creating a website. The website is created. Okay, I'm on the, um, I'm on the website. Yeah, you have a nice website. I love this picture of you and hubby. It's really beautiful. Um, okay. Then, yeah, you, you're already set up. It's just a matter of doing this whole thing with the publishing that that you might not have anticipated. I am really big on learning as much as you can about things because you can save money if you do um, because a lot of the things that is done with self-publishing really isn't bad. It's just finding the right company and and kind of going with them. And the print-on-demand, see, Andres, that is your solution. That's what you want to do because you can have as many or as few copies as you want so that you don't have a living room full of books. You can order what you need as needed. Or if you order them in bulk, you can get a discounted rate directly to you without the middleman fees. So something to think about. That is is what I was. Because one of our members from our church, he went through it, but the hard part about it is as well, that's how it's all crazy and so in sync and tied into all of this. Uh, Adam, he did all his writing. Adam didn't edit anything. All Adam did was kind of like help him get an ISBN and print it. Um, Okay. We were all in the fellowship. So I could try to ask him, but I know that he actually had to switch companies because the first company that he did the printing messed his formatting up. Um, oh no! It, he sent it to them in the correct formatting, but they messed it up. So I know he switched companies in the middle of it, and he also has it where you can do Kindle and Amazon print. Right. And yep. published. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, Create Space is another another great one. I think that's the name of it. Create Space. That sounds when you say Create Space, that sounded very familiar. Okay. Yeah. Create Space is great. And so you want to look at that, too. Those would be my top two that I would give a thumbs up for. Okay. So if you were my sister, and you are, and you're like, hey, I'm publishing, self-publishing, I'd say look at Create Space, look at Sparks. Okay. So Create Space, and then what's the other one you said? Ingram Spark, I-N-G-R-A-M Spark. So... Which, honestly, which one would you say to do? What is your, like, number one? A create space is easiest. Yeah. Okay. And very reliable, too. So, yeah. Okay. So it's not like it's very one is more friendly. Mm-hmm. Got you. I'm sorry. What did you say? No, no, no. So I said it's not like having one gives you a different type access than the other. Oh, no. Mm-mm. Not at all. Um, create space is probably a little more... Um, user friendly. So okay. um, and I had been kind of fixated on Ingram Spark just because I do so many of these type projects and um small publishers who are working on authors books then um our company will edit and then they go through Ingram Spark and everything like that. So I know Ingram Spark is fantastic but so is Create Okay. Perfect. Yeah. I hope that was helpful. It was. Um, yeah, if you have any, any questions and um we're talking, I'm I'm completely open to helping in any way that I can. And um so I'm not an information hoarder and throughout this process I just want you to be successful and 
be able to get everything done in a timely fashion. And I know that I have been pushing for an end of September release date for you. And mm-hmm. that's why um that deliverable Siandres that I'm pushing, we're gonna we're gonna make it. Um this is a seven week project, so I've already started writing and um so I already know how many pages a day that I need to do in order to meet these deadlines and so I'm on a tight schedule for you. So we're gonna end that by August thirty first to give you a full month. And you know it's probably about three weeks, sometimes less. Ingram Spark will get it done. So we'll create space. Um, but I'm making sure you have a full month to be able to do whatever you need to get it to, to print. Yes. Okay. Perfect. That makes sense. So, um, that's it. Do you have any other questions or anything? No, we are. We have gotten. I feel like I've gotten all the preliminaries out of the way. Okay. Good. Um, here's what I need from you. So this is what I have just been a feeling and something that I want to do, and you can give me your feedback. I want, in your introduction, I want to really introduce you. I want the reader to feel like they know you know you from being a little girl. So I want details because I'm writing on your behalf, um, but I want details about your childhood. Like even if, let's say, you have a memory of being in a room what color was your room? What was that like? You know, what are the thoughts that go through the mind of young Siandri, the the prodigy? And I know, <laughs> I know you don't wake up and say good morning, prodigy, but we have to <laughs> <laughs> we have to introduce you that way because it's not every day that somebody has that kind of a childhood in life, and that is what is going to make you stand out. And that's what's going to catch people's attention. And so we need to make sure they know you. So help us know you. Help speak in your voice. Because um, we're talking about wearing a mask. And I know you learned that at a young age. But give me a few memories to pepper in your introduction uh, of when you were young. Maybe five, six, even younger, if you if you remember anything that you think is relevant and that sticks out in your mind. Is there anything okay, so, you can think of? Um, I do remember um, young the the first home that we lived in because I lived in two homes. The first home that we lived in, I had a a twin bedroom. It was like canopy, and uh, it actually looked like a a really a princess room, and I had a closet. Uh, in that room, and actually that's the closet that I would actually go sit in and play the the piano and talk to, of course, at that time, the man. So I, that's what I remember. And then really? my grandmother. in the closet. Yeah. And my grandmother and my mother at that time, it was a, it was two single-family homes, but in the laundry area there was a door where we actually could walk from our house into my grandmother's house. But each person on each side had to leave the door unlocked. And I remember that the latch was very high, so I couldn't get there. An adult would have to open it up. And sometimes my mom would call my grandmother and say, Siandris is coming over. Go, can you go open the other side? I don't remember at what age they finally <laughs> sealed the door so that we – kind of couldn't exchange back and forth, but that was that was just so unique. I remember that being able to, wow. I'm going to my grandmother's house and literally just walking through the door. <laughs> that was the connection between our, our, our homes. Um, when you were in your room, in your closet, um, can you, can you remember the first time the man actually presented himself or, or what was that experience like? What's your earliest memory of that and your response to it? I, because it was such a normal for me, it was, that was like the protection. If I felt if something had happened in a home where there was an argument or something happened at school, um, it was just like when I would play the 
the piano or go to play the keyboard, that's when the man would actually come and talk. So it was at that age, my awareness was always only when I was playing. So it wasn't like, you know, the man would say, come here or come in the closet. It was nothing like that. It was when I would go to sit at the keyboard or play. Um, some I remember the first time, just actually like a friend. It was it was a friendship, like a relationship mm-hmm. between a friend or a father and his daughter. And it wasn't spooky because mm-hmm. it was just like this is the norm. You know, it's like when a child sees their daddy, you're not going to be afraid. You know, it's almost if you haven't, you have that bond with your dad, you haven't seen him all day, it's like, I can't wait, I'm running into your arms kind of concept mm-hmm. that I, I would connect it to. Um, I know you had a hard time uh, with other children and uh, with them teasing you and such. Give me a memory or two that would really stand out and mold you and shape you, and that stuck with you. It could be good or bad, um, just to anchor your story and uh, and to get to know you face. Okay, so the story that really sticks out, I don't remember the age. I I know it wasn't junior high yet. It may have been pre-element, like the elementary right before the junior high, but after being on... um, that's incredible. Tony Brown's journal, which she saw some of the articles I sent you. I'm actually trying to find a DVD that we downloaded. We found it. You had to pay for subscription to watch it. But um, that is so that, fantastic, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so fascinated. Okay, good. After that show, I actually there was a very prestigious school called Country Day. And I remember going to that school. It was what a was school it that was country like Country what? Day. Country Day, and it was in Bell. Metairie Park. C-O-U-N-T-R-Y, and then the word day. D-A-Y. Okay. I thought you were saying day. Okay, Country Day. And so being there because of the arts and being so scholastic in my grades as well as in the gifted area, The memory that so vividly I remember being the only black girl in the classroom. Um, There were other black kids, but you could count on your hand how many black kids there were in the school. And there were some, but they were very light-skinned, so you would not – they could blend in and not think that they were black. And I just remember the kids – I don't remember the exact specific wording of what happened, but that was when the first – Buzz McKenzie, you don't belong here. You're a dot. And I remember going underneath the table and crying and like mm-hmm. like a child shaking and crying and was like, I, the teacher's like, come out. And I'm like, I'm not coming out because I felt like she wasn't protecting me. And I was like, I want my daddy. And um, I remember crying for my dad. My dad was at work and I screamed and I said, daddy, please don't make me stay in this school the rest of the day. Please come and get me. Um, because he was just, he had said, see, Andres, well, I'm on a slab because he's a contractor and I can't get off work right now. And I didn't want my mom. I didn't want my grandmother because my mother would have went off. She was saved but livid. <laughs> so I didn't want my mom <laughs> to come and make a scene and embarrass me. So my dad came with his work clothes. And when he got me, I just remember saying to my dad, I never want to go back to this school ever again. I don't care about this school being for smart and gifted kids. Just put me in a normal school. And that is a a very vivid, so very, I can see it today. Mm, that's really sad. I, I haven't seen see what that did. That gave me an image of you under a table shaking and crying. And that's really important. Um, give me one more. Give me one so, more. So, and then the flip, the positive was, I remember when we were at the, the in New Orleans, they have the world's, the, the jazz fest, like jazz fest and essence festival. And I remember um, the choir that I created praising his name, Gospel Chorus. And I remember all these little kids, and we all have on white. We have on our white dresses. Um, my cousin, he's deceased. He's ready. He's got his drum set. They're sitting up on the stage. 
you know, sound check, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so nervous. I remember the first time, like, I have to go to the bathroom. And my grandma's like, you just went to the bathroom. I'm like, I want to feel myself again. I have to go to the bathroom. And I remember just that time I felt, like, really special, but it wasn't about me. And I'm bringing all my friends on stage, all these kids, because they were like, are you ready? Of course, you got all these people. You peek through the tent, and it's like, oh, my gosh, there are hundreds of people out here. You have people drinking beer, and they're drunk, and they're poor, because they're all such <laughs> a jazz fest. And they're like, introducing this little seven-year-old girl that we know is God's strategy, Siandre Jones, and the praise of his name, God. And I just remember, like, walking on stage, like, oh, my God, it's so <laughs> scary, but it's so exciting. And I just remember closing my eyes and said, saying to myself, this is not a performance. And I asked the audience, are y'all ready? I can hear myself even oh. telling y'all ready to go to church. I was like, I know you think this is a festival, but I didn't come here to perform. I came to praise the Lord. Are y'all ready? Get up off the ground and get on your feet. And I, I just remember starting to play the, the organ, and we went to church. And when we got ready to, you know, leave because you have your time, and a guy comes on, come on, let's give it up. They were like, no, let's just sing one more. He was like, well, the audience wants one more song. Go ahead on this thing. And at that moment, I just just remember, like, wow, it was about me and my friends together, and we were praising God, and yet people might have saw it was a performance, and the other people had just did it. We were crying and praising God. It was an opportunity for us to sing about Jesus. So that's the memory I remember. That's fantastic. I love it. That's perfect. Okay. Um. It's like the perfect juxtaposition of this little girl who was different and was teased on one hand for being different, was scared and nervous, but then when you got on stage and operated in your gift, this other side of you came out, and you were somehow nervous but yet at home on that stage um, using your gifting. Tell me, um, DeAndres, what was it like growing up in – New Orleans, because I, I want them to have a sense of the surroundings because we're going to mix in the Word of God um, and the principles because you give so many nuggets in your book. I mean, it's chock full of good stuff. And your personal stories, we want to mix them so that it's in your voice and it's in your life. So tell me about that. Also, give me the, the, the boring details, your birth date, where you were born, and then what was it like um, coming up, the sights, the smells, the sounds, fond memories, general stuff? Yeah, so I was born um, August 20th, 1974, in New Orleans, Louisiana, at Touro, T-O-U-R-O. I think it's called, it was called back then, Infirmary Hospital, Touro Infirmary Hospital. Okay. Don't know the time, don't know the day, don't know what was going on, but I know that that's uh, the first <laughs> day. And okay. um, growing up in New Orleans, the like I said, the first house was the East, and then when my dad ventured out in business, um, I always remember him saying, we're going to give you your own room because I have a sister and a well, my brother wasn't existing at that time. I had a sister, and her and I shared a room. And I just remember um, him saying, you're going to have your own room, and it's going to be this big house. And we went to look at this land, and it was very exciting. So growing up, we lived because of the environment that my dad provided. We lived with what they called the upscale neighborhood in the east, okay. um, where it was not a lot of black people at the time. <laughs> but we went to church in the Lower Night Ward where a lot of the flooding happened in Katrina. So mm. we lived in a high-graded area, but my mom never forgot her roots, and she never left the church of where, you know, she grew up at. So um, we would – it was very protected, but then when we would go to church, be like, oh, my gosh, this is the hood. These people are crazy. There's people on the street smoking. <laughs> right. Um you know, you would, of course, have people cussing and swearing, but 
there was just something about like when we would come to church with certain people, they'd be like, oh, the pastor, you better shut up and be quiet. And then the kids, um, again, that would come to church, um, again, it was not a lot of people. It was crazy because where we lived, where you lived, that kind of drew the type of crowd of your church. So it wasn't like if you were in a poor neighborhood, you had people that weren't poor that would come to that area. Growing up, I remember where you lived at was the church that you went to. Um, And so that's what New Orleans was like for me, really, growing up. I went to church in one area. I went to school with the the upscale, I hate the word rich, so the upscale kids, and I lived with the upscale people. (laughs) Do you want me to not? Do you want me not to say rich in your book? You can. You can say rich. I'm just saying when I, you know, I don't use that because I don't want the stereotype that comes with that. You know, like oh, you were, you had money. So I just we can say rich. I just know now that's the you know new term that's in upscale. <laughs> I'll and I'll you know what I'll do. I'll introduce. I just like to let you talk because it helps me get to know you. So yes, I'll know. You know, she she wasn't really that comfortable, and then I'll incorporate that into your book. That I don't really like to say rich because I don't like the stereotype that comes with that. You know, right? So it'll be who you are. Um, right. So you don't want to be like the spoiled little rich prodigy kid. <laughs> exactly because. Some people now are like kind of like the the star back as a child. What happened to Raven Simone? Where is she? Right. Your money does not identify who you are. It's just right. the status that allows you to live in that situation for that current moment. Because you can be mm-hmm. broke one day, rich the next day, struggling the next day. So it depends on the conditions. That's really good. I want to I want to bring that out because. Your experience and a lot of the demographic that you will speak to, I know specifically because I felt drawn to you, I'm going to introduce you to our readers. Um, I know that the demographic that I deal with, a lot of, of women are educated and, you know, women are graduating from college at higher rates, but they still are not getting what they're worth and many of them are not able to escape poverty or to get beyond middle class. And so your experience will be something unique, and I think it will be powerful for them to understand that being rich does not mean that you don't have struggles. Having a big house doesn't mean that everybody in it is happy, and you do express that very well in your book. Um, so what happened? When, when did you learn that you guys were different in terms of your income and that that matters? Oh, I, I knew. Now, here's thing, the, the, why I'm even kind of really versed as far as in business and an entrepreneur, even as a little kid, my dad, I would ride in the car, and back then, when you would go on jobs, they would measure it, and everything was by square foot, and you times it out, so sometimes my dad, we had these uh, green notebooks that had all these lines and columns. I think you know what I'm talking about. It's like the graph paper, but this was like mm-hmm. the graph paper, and he would mm-hmm. say, line one, right slab, 122, and I'm like, what, Dad? And he'd be like, put it over here and draw a line. So knowing that I would kind of calculate numbers with my dad, and then Mm -hmm. how I knew we were different is when my dad would come home with cash and like, what is wrong with my daddy's pocket? And he would sit like (laughs) $5,000 on the dresser, and I'd be like, whoa. You know, I'd be like, no, come in here. You need to learn how to count. So I knew then, you know, we were different. Um. I knew where we were because my dad was always a giver. Despite the behavior that he had, the man was a giver. And that is why I truly believe we get upset. But you got rich people like Oprah Winfrey and anybody else that they won't say they tithe, but God cannot not honor his word. When you have the principles Mm -hmm. of sowing, you're going to reap it. And so my Mm -hmm. dad was a giver. And so when people would come and be like, I can't pay my rent, you know, and back then, you know, growing up, $400 was a lot of money. And he would say, here's a $1,000. I'm paying you up for three months. I'm like, wow, whose daddy does that? <laughs> and right. then the type of uh, men my dad would deal with, businessmen, you know, we would have to dress up to go meet him. And then you would, I spoke very eloquently, very proper. It's funny because I'm like, what happened to that, Keandris? But <laughs> I was, I mean, very... 
very eloquently where I dotted every I and crossed every T. And so when we would go to dinner, you know, here would be the other, hi, my name is Angelique. And I'm like, well, hi, my name is Seandris. So it was kind of like living in the world. I can be the valley girl if I need to when I get to church. And they, they actually laugh at me even now when they're like, Pastor, you are not hood. I don't know why you try to act it. You, you cannot do it right. And so that's when I knew because of the giving in, we would go to Jaboa and the street, those type of places. I'm sure we're within the same age and you know about a street. And it was like those were the clothes that were like two, three hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, Deandre's is wearing a spree and Jabot jeans. So it was at those points that I knew it, if that makes sense. And my dad yeah. would donate to the school, you know, money and drives. He'd be like, no, you're not selling candy. I'm just going to write a check for $3,000. So right. I knew it. But that never, if I could, it never made me. Money didn't make me. I actually hated money because I saw that people were drawn to people who had money and never really wanted to get to know who you are. Mm. Wow. It was, I'm driven by, if your name is in light, you know, and I think maybe that's why even today, even if God ever does elevate, I'm not caught up and moved into that. And I'm like, God, I understand business, but help me to remember I'm always a servant because I had that growing up. And that's why I don't like to kind of with the terminology rich, because then people say, well, man, you were on TV, you were this, what happened to you? Well, Mm -hmm. it wasn't, things happened in my family and opportunities were there, and because of where they were in their life, it shut certain things down. Had a scholarship, as my mom was sharing. Grandma's like, no, you go to New York, you're going to be, excuse my expression, this is how she said it, you're going to be a whole, you're going to wind up, you know, some bad going to happen to you, we don't know this man. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't have to go to New York to do that, Mama. I can do that right up underneath here living in New Orleans. So it was really just the status and things that happen and experience conversations like I said, helping her write checks for my dad and doing things in his bookkeeping is how I knew you were a very well-established family. So it's interesting because um, when you talk about your, your childhood and, and um, all of the things that you were doing, which were really complicated things that your father pulled you into, which I think is amazing, um, it was really amazing, too, for an African-American man to be operating at that level at that time. Um, so now that you're looking back on it and reflecting on it, I don't know if you know how deep a thinker, you probably do, how deep a thinker you were even in your childhood, just analyzing things and thinking more deeply about things and um, developing this whole secret life, so to speak, that you had and with the man, what was it that um, really created the introvert in you? And you kind of touched on it, and I want to hear you talk about it, because in your, in your book that I've read, you have so many principles in there, and you deal with wearing a mask and, and your family and how that taught you to be that way. But I want to dig into it deeper. Um, sure. What made you that way? I I really or was it just do always believe. like that. I I when I think about it, I was always I believe a quiet child. Okay. But when I expressed my heart and my love and the rejection came, it made me very more withdrawn. I think I was always the type of person that would analyze things. Um, even with my IQ, as my mom was telling you, with psychiatrists were like, man, maybe we should do surgery. She was a little bit too smarter. Is she possibly autistic? Is she? So I think my brain and being exposed to that, and like she told you, nine months taking off a diaper and walking and like pee in a pot. So mm-hmm. talking in complete sentences and some of those things, I think God wired my brain to really be developed because I had cousins, and I think with playing and music, I didn't have the TV and some of those other things that kind of like stunt your growth. I think because of the exposure, what I had, my brain was already kind of like moving forward. But what pulled me into that, I think, deeper part of the introvert that's not as, you know, business-fied and analytical, it was the hurt and the pain. It was when you reach out and you love people, they talk about you or they reject you or like if 
something happens at home instead of you just talking about it with maybe your family, when we go to school the next day, everybody knows Siandra's daddy cussed out her mom. Or so now I'm being judged because of how my parents are living. So it really made me, and even up until this day, I'm a very transparent person. But that's how I press to continue to walk in my wholeness and healing. But I'm not going to tell you that that transparency and vulnerability does not sometimes come back to hurt. But I recognize it's so much greater to be free and transparent and use that as your testimony of what you have overcome and what God is doing in your life. And, yeah, my flesh wants to respond, but my flesh is not stronger than my spirit. So, so watch my spirit come alive. Watch my daddy's DNA activate. And when I say daddy, I'm not talking about Rap Jones. I'm talking about Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Watch him be greater in me than me because Seandris wants to slap you in your face right now. But watch daddy mm-hmm. bring that up underneath subjection. And I believe that's where that introvert and extrovert actually comes into one another. I believe in the spirit of God, there is that extrovert that is so joyous and powerful and trust God and believe. But I think it's the person of Seandris that makes her that introvert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's like, because I can't talk on a shallow level. So because I mm-hmm. can't, well, how's your day-to-day? I don't do the normal, fine, blessed, and highly favored. I will say, man, you know what? God is so good, but right now, all hell's breaking loose. And so everybody's not ready for that. And so because of that, I think that that causes me to withdraw. Like, well, if I can't keep it 100, you're just going to be, how's your day? It's great. Awesome. You have a great day, okay? Keep it 100. (laughs) And I move on. You have this thing where um, there's like two of you. There's this introvert who's very careful, um, and then there's, this gifted individual where the anointing won't allow you to retreat. Because I I think without God, people who are gifted in that way, when they are hurt, they they are just reclusive. And they don't want to be bothered. But it's the gift in you, the anointing, that won't let you be quiet and just kind of fade into the background. Because you don't seem to want that. You don't seem right. to want the 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 lights, the glory, that you don't need that. Some some people do. You don't need it. So talk to me about um, that battle because here's the thing. When you're an introvert and you've been rejected, like you said, it's not easy to be transparent and put your heart out there. So talk to me oh. about that battle and that fight that you still have. We'll bring it to modern present day because I, I believe that the Lord is shaping and molding the story that he wants me to tell about you every time we talk. So talk to me about that battle that um, is still ongoing, that struggle. Well, the struggle that's ongoing is just as you said, there's the part of me that can discern and say, man, people are hurting. If I could reference that, I know we won't do their names in books. I'm like, man, why wasn't somebody discerning enough to see Whitney's pain? Right. She was surrounded yeah. by all, and I don't knock any, but she was surrounded by all these church people, but they couldn't see her mask. I asked the same question, yes. Thank you, Siandra. And yet, did not that. anybody hear the cry? The night before she takes her life, she's singing, yes, Jesus loves me. So that was clearly an indication of the battle. She gets up high as a kite, and that's showing you the war that she's at. Man, here's all these people that expect this, and when I can't deliver or I can't sing anymore, I'm not any good to you. Not Forget about the Whitney that when you were talking, my voice was good. I was great. But now, oh, she's a crackhead. Well, what about recovering? So the only person that I can really tap into before I just let go because the pain is too much is, yes, Jesus loves me. And this will be my last time that I'm going to minister to you guys. And remember, what I want to at least leave you, my Holy Spirit in me is going to at least let you know that, yes, Jesus loves you. But it's too much for Whitney because the love of God, while it's strong and I know he's there, I'm not feeling it with the people that are very next to me, walking close to me. Mm-hmm. And that's the greatest example that I can say that I use, that because I see people hurting, I see the mass, I see, I mean, if, if it was that, then why do we have people that are 
out here in big lights having sex, human trafficking, you know, committing adultery on drugs because they're saying, man, does people love me for who I am or what I can do for them? And I see the hurt. I see it. I don't care how prestige people are, how high they are. You can discern it. It's like, okay, I got to come here today. And I got to, you know, because of the joy of the Lord, but why can't I come up and say, you know what, I'm about to preach this word to you, but I need you all to pray because I'm not feeling what I'm about to preach. That's what I want people to be able to do. This ain't me. I need you all to know this is so all of God. Man, if people could do that, how many sinners would be like, not a church, folks, keeping it real. (laughs) Yes. Because now I know you hurt so like I people. hurt. The only difference is mm-hmm. you're not tapping into the stuff that's going to kill you. You're tapping into God that will allow you to continue to live. So what can um, a person do who feels trapped in their mask? Um, and these are things that you already touched on very, very profoundly. I want to establish early on um, what kinds of things you want people to be thinking about and what you want them to do if they feel trapped. Talk to that person that feels like, Tiandre, I don't know how to come out of this shell. Of, and, I, and people have an expectation of me. And what will they say about me? And, and how do I disappoint other folks? Talk to that person that feels trapped and is not liberated to do that, feel like they could never do that. The first lady that could never be honest about what's really going on in her marriage. You know what I mean? Or the CEO that's addicted to drugs and could never tell anybody, like, how how does somebody get free out of that mask when they really feel trapped in that life? Yeah. The, The first thing when I think about that, I would ask them is, now, where did that life commandment come from? What what caused that value? What made mm-hmm. you write that life commandment? Because there's difference with commandments of the word and there's life commandments. What makes you feel that as that first lady, I can't tell? Where did that come from? At what age did you hear that commandment and you stuck with it and now you live by it? That is your anthem. That is your pledge of allegiance. And after we get through, oh, well, man, being rejected, man, Rejection, what does that make you feel like when you feel rejection? What does that, you know, cause you to do? What does that cause you to? How does that come against everything that's on the inside? And what does that war feel like? And tapping into, and we talk about this later on in the book, but, man, when you feel that energy that's making you Mm -hmm. feel like a victim, but yet you're at that level five energy that's like I'm an overcomer, it's reaching into that at that moment that's like, okay, Kill the victim, and I know I, that's kind of really hard, and pull out the overcomer. And mm-hmm. what does it look like standing in your mirror? You know what? Yep, you are going to reject me. So what? They rejected God. Yep, you, mm-hmm. but I'm sick of it because you're keeping me in bondage. I can't even fulfill the greatest destiny. And, and taking that risk and that leap of faith and finding someone and asking, God, who is it? Not for real, not even, I don't want to even say directly in the church. Who is it that I know that? I can sense they going through this stuff. They, I could, it's so familiar to me. I've lived in this family of it. I, I know what that looks like. Man, you know what? I'm going to just write them a card. This is so scary because so I don't want to see their face. I don't want to deal with rejection, but maybe I'll just write a card. Or maybe mm-hmm. I won't even go that far and write it to the person. I'll just write it out. I'll tell my story just by writing it out and just hold it. And those are the steps to me that I think it starts with you being able to be real with yourself first because to be able to be battling in your mind and not even be able to come out of your mind and be like, you know what, I feel hurt. I feel tore up, God. You know, and, and I understand talking to God and saying it, but you know what, God, is beyond it. You're going to have to show me somebody or have me watch something or have me feel something that's going to empower me to know that it's okay. And being okay with I might get 10 more rejections. I might get 50 more no's. What's the power of the no? Because to me, when you start to learn how to embrace no and you do it well, that's when Father can now say, thank you, I can reverse the no to on. I'm finally (laughs) on your next level. I'm finally able to turn on the next dimension of your walk with me because you finally embrace no. I couldn't give you what I had because you kept going to no and giving more power to the no than the guy who can reverse everything. You better preach. 
I get you, and then I hear you in my head. So I understand. I'll, I'll hear you in my head talking as I write, and I'm very, very excited because I've been working on pages, and so um, every day I write your book. Like, this is the only writing project that I have on my table for until I'm done with you. Everybody wow. on my staff knows don't bring me anything <laughs> until I'm done with this. But this is one of those all-consuming in the presence of the Lord. I know you pray. I know and you this is the thing that I want to say, Deanna, that I will say this that's crazy. Um, have you ever felt like what God is giving you, you don't want lights, you don't need no big platforms, but you know what you have and what you've gone through and what God has set you free and what he's doing is not just for the four walls of the congregation that you speak yes. to. Yes. And when you, you can be preaching to your own congregation, but you feel limited because you like, God, I know there's so many more people that need this. That's where I'm at. That's the urgency. Mm-hmm. That's where, to me, it's even been like the attack with the book and the writer. I'm like, God, I'm, I walked out in obedience. I, I emptied out. I, I took a risk. Had to humble myself and text this joke and say, Daddy, I need to talk to you. He texts me back. So, you know, like, okay, well, maybe I'll ask for advance on my salary, which is, you know, what we're going to do. But Mm -hmm. all of those, and it's it's like I'm not trying to do this to get rich. Now, is my story and transparency going to help because I'm sowing into people's lives reap, but I'm not doing it to be rich? And I'm not yes. doing it to get on a platform and speak at the next TD Jakes to make an honorarium of ten thousand. Honey, you give me ten thousand, I'm probably gonna give you back eight to your church. <laughs> I'm right. able to do it for real, for real, to set people free because I see it. I see it in the body of Christ. I see it rising up. And what I see the enemy doing because people can't do it, he captivates them when their sin is like, Yeah, you thought it, now I'm about to really expose you. Mm-hmm. And um I want to share, if I can, um, I don't know if we want to talk uh, or you're done, but I do want to share something to me that really was, like, purposeful, but because it's confidential, I don't want it to be recorded in that aspect, but I do want to share it with you so that you can Okay, you want, me to turn even the, you want me to turn the recording off? Yes, please. Okay, I'm going to. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.